So have you ever done something that was right, but in the wrong way or with the wrong person or at the wrong time? I'm not talking about the video, by the way. Uh, for instance, two Thursdays ago, I was sitting at Starbucks, uh, had my computer open, my headphones in, just hammering away on putting the final touches to my sermon. When I looked up and saw somebody walking by my table that I thought I recognized, they look exactly like a guy who attends our church. And as I saw them, they glanced at me. I thought they recognized me, but instead of giving a simple smile and a nod, I, in my introverted nature, overreacted and did something like this. Hey, like that. I don't know why I did that, but in the middle of my awkward reaction, I realized I've never seen this man before in my life. And he responded in a very sympathetic tone of, hey there, almost like you would talk to a lost puppy you found on the street. I was mortified. I put my head down into my notes and I started working away. I did not look up again until I knew that guy was gone. So if you're here and you're that person, uh, or if you're just someone new today, I want to properly introduce myself. My name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church, and so glad that you're with us today. If you're joining us on video as well, maybe today in the building somewhere or later on online, so thankful that you and really everyone is here. So thankful that all of you are here today in week number three of a sermon series on relationships called It Takes Two. Now, waving feverishly at someone you don't know has uh, minor implications, right? Just minor ones. But let's take something else, for example, something like, say, fire. Fire can be a great thing, right? Like fire in itself is not bad. It's intended to produce warmth or heat. But where you use fire or how you use it can cause serious damage outside of its intended boundaries or outside of its intended uses if you use fire that way. And that's actually exactly how I feel about sex. So in the words of the great theologians, Salt and Pepper. Let's talk about sex, okay, here we go. I think sometimes we have this view about God that he blushes at the thought or the mention or the discussion of sex. But the reality is God invented sex. It was his idea in the first place. So let me be the first one to say, we praise you, God, for such an amazing idea. Can I get a witness up in here today? All the men said amen, right? So. Not only is God the one who thought of it, but then he designed men and women to fit perfectly together for it, literally designed us to fit together for sexual intimacy. And did you know that the very first command recorded in the Bible is a sexual command, but not a command to escape sex, actually a command to engage in sexuality. First book of the Bible, Genesis, first chapter, chapter one, verses 27 and 28 says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and what he blessed them with, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And when he said that, he wasn't talking about a mathematical story problem involving fruit. If Sally, if Sally has five apples and Sam has three and Sam gives Sally three apples, how many apples does Sally have? No, he was saying if Sally is married to Sam, throw on some Marvin Gaye and let's get it on. 
That's what he's saying in Genesis chapter one. So if God's the one that created it, and then he actually commands us to engage in it, don't you think we should consult him on how it works out the best? If it's his idea in the first place? Now, I, I totally understand not everyone who is here today is going to believe that God's design for sex and sexuality is correct, or maybe you won't agree that my understanding of God's design is correct. I want to acknowledge that, that you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to believe in his design for sexuality for us to love you or welcome you here. As long as you understand, this is what I believe God desires for our sexuality. And we're going to teach this here at Element Church as best we can in the most loving and gracious and compassionate and hopeful way that we can. I'm the first one to admit that sex outside of God's design will feel good. It will. Sex outside of God's design will feel good. I just believe there's a difference between a feeling and being fulfilled. There's a difference between feeling good and something being great. Like fire is designed to produce heat, and that heat inside of its designed boundaries will fulfill that purpose outside of those boundaries. It can wreak havoc and destruction and church the same is true with sex. That outside of God's intended design and boundaries, it can cause destruction. So here's the big idea for today. It's on the screen if you wanna write it down, it's this. Sex is designed to feel good, but there are specific things that make it great. That God designed our sexuality to feel Good, that's part of the purpose, but there's specific things that make it great. And so my favorite big question of all time at Element Church, here it is. What is the secret to great sex? What's the secret to great sex? To find out the answer, we're going to turn to the book that we are in for this entire sermon series, the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon chapter 3. Uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week, and we're not diving into every single specific detail of this book or of relationships and sexuality, uh, but we're in this book for right now. I'm going to do my best today, so if, turn your Bibles there. Follow on the screens. If you don't own your own Bible, God does talk about sex quite a bit in the Bible. We'd love for you to read about it on your own. And so you can get a Bible at guest services for free on your way out. If you do want some other resources to help you dive more in depth, either into this book of the Bible or the subject of sex and relationships. Here's three books I would recommend. They're on the screens. The Book of Romance by Tommy Nelson. He dives into detail of this Song of Songs or Solomon. I'm using that book heavily to prepare for these messages. Then a book by Craig Rochelle, Love, Sex, and Happily Ever After, which deals with dating and sexuality and marriage. And then the best book on dating I've ever read, The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating by Andy Stanley. Those are all available out at the Element Store, along with other books we're recommending as well to kind of dive deeper in this subject. Song of Songs or Solomon. You can go by both terms in the Bible, by the way. Different Bibles have different names. I don't know why. 
but it's a very poetic and descriptive book. And in this poetic language, we have been following a young man and a young woman as they go from attraction to dating into courtship. Today, we're gonna see them get married and then enjoy their wedding night. If you've not been here uh, for the first part of the series, the last couple weeks, we'd encourage you to jump online, go to our podcast, uh, check out the first two sermons because they're really foundational in this area of preparing ourselves for relationships. Little heads up, next week, We're going to see this couple have their first fight and then go through conflict resolution. So some super good principles next week on how do we face conflict resolutely. And then the last week, two weeks from now, I'm going to talk about uh, having a a lifelong, thriving marriage that makes it till the end. That's coming up. Here we are, Song of Songs 3, starting in verse 6, says this. Who is this sweeping in from the wilderness? The young woman is talking now. Like a cloud of smoke. Who is it fragrant with myrrh and frankincense and every kind of spice? Look, it's Solomon's carriage surrounded by 60 heroic men, the best of Israel's soldiers. So this is describing their wedding day. I've seen some big bridal parties. I've never seen 60 groomsmen, but apparently that's what they had here at this wedding. We're going to skip the next couple of verses. Just talks more about Solomon's carriage and his bridal party. Verse 11 says this, come out to see King Solomon. That's the young man in this whole discussion, young women of Jerusalem. He wears the crown his mother gave him on his wedding day, his most joyous day. So what we see here now is this couple is married. And the very next verses, which we'll get to here in a bit, uh, is what this couple experiences on their wedding night. And this is so, so huge. I've been kind of hinting at this at the end of every message. I want to remind us that so far in the first three chapters of the Song of Songs, two different times we have specifically seen where this couple desired to be sexually intimate together, but each time they restrained themselves. Now, why did they restrain themselves? Why did God include that in the story? Well, I think they knew, and I believe God is trying to tell us That sex is designed to feel good. That desire is a natural thing, but specific things make it great. So what is the secret to great sex? Here's the first one. Hang with me because I know I'll get some pushback with some of you in the room. This is not the fun part yet, but we've got to address this before we move on to the fun part. So here's point number one. You need to be married. You need to be married. Now again... You can have sex outside of marriage. You can have sex outside of God's design and it's going to feel good, but it's not what God intended. I believe it will never fulfill its purpose. You are literally playing with fire outside of God's design. And God's design for sex, you cannot escape this in scripture. You can't. That from Genesis all the way through the teachings of Jesus and beyond, God's design according to scripture, which is all we have for sex, is one man and one woman in marriage till death do us part. That's God's design for sex and sexuality. You cannot find, it's impossible, it's not there. You cannot find one positive mention about marriage or sexuality outside of that design in all the Bible, you cannot find it. You can disagree with it 
And I'm open to having discussions with you about your disagreement. That's fine. You just can't deny the fact there's not a positive case of marriage or sexuality outside of that design in all of the Bible. And I believe the main reason we struggle with this idea of God's design for sex is not just that we want to have sex. I think it's we have lowered our view of sexuality. In fact, I've showed this video before, but I can't restate this any better. It's a video from Pastor John Mark Comer dealing with this idea of what is sex. He pastors a church in Portland, Oregon. So we're not talking about the Bible Belt conservative part of America. We're talking about liberal part of America. He's teaching this idea of sexuality. And so I want you to check out this video called What is Sex from Pastor John Mark Comer. Check it out. So I find that there's a ton of talk right now in the world with my friends, with my family, my neighborhood about sex and about what sex is. And I also find, at least as a follower of Jesus, that there's a chasmic gap between culture at large's definition of sexuality and God's definition. And by that I mean from the scriptures um, as Jesus would define it, as the biblical authors would define it. So basically, as I read it, culture at large defines sex as recreational play between two consenting adults. So it's just physical, it's just the biological coupling of two bodies for sexual release and what's the big deal? As long as it's between two consenting adults, if it's mutually pleasurable, I mean, what in the world is the big deal? It's just play for grown-ups. And then the church often comes along and says, okay, here's all the rules. Here's where you can do it and here's where you can't do it. But they buy into culture's definition of what sex is. And then basically say, well, you can do it, but only in marriage. And oh, by the way, only marriage between a man and a woman, not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. And to most of us, that's just nonsensical. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you hear that and you think, what, what kind of crazy, uneducated, traditional, outdated thing is that? That makes no sense. But reality, we have to get behind it to the definition of what sex is. So as I read the scriptures, as I read the teachings of Jesus, here's how I understand sex. In Genesis chapter 2, the word ekhad is used, that in sexuality, two people become ekhad, or it can be translated one flesh. This is a graphic, weighty word that basically means, when it's put together with this word flesh, fused together at the deepest level. That in sex, a man and a woman come together and are fused together at the deepest level. It is the bonding of two people into one entity, body and soul, physical and spiritual, because there's no way to bifurcate the two. So it's actually a much higher view of sex than cultures. Culture basically says, hey, it's just play. It's just biological. What's the big deal? God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, it's way more than that. It's two people who become one entity and then over and over again enjoy and express love for one another through sexuality. Now inside of marriage this is beautiful because it it takes two people and it doesn't let them drift apart. It keeps them together. It keeps them ekhad or one. But outside of marriage this can be dehumanizing because it can turn people into objects for basically self-gratification and then every time you walk away from a sexual partner it's as if you tear ekhad, as if part of you is lost and you do that enough times and it starts to hollow you out from the inside. So I, as a follower of Jesus, think that we need a higher 
view of sex than culture at large is not a lower view. We need to get back to the mysterious, beautiful, powerful reality of what happens when a man and a woman make love. Isn't that good? Like we need, we need an elevated, a higher view of sexuality. I actually think if we get our thinking up to that level, we wouldn't have such a problem with God's design. That we'd see it as something beautiful and mysterious as he talked about in that video. So sex is designed to feel good, but that's the recreational play part of what he talked about. There's specific things that make it great. So what's the secret to great sex? I think you cannot escape it in scripture that you need to be married in God's design. And then number two is this, it needs to be mutual. Now, when I say it should be mutual, I'm talking about more than just consent, although that should be a given. Can we make that clear right now? Consent should be a given, right? Like, like even uh, any sex without consent, even in marriage, is abusive, sinful, and condemned by God. Are we all on the same page with that? Like consent is a given in this, but it's more than that. Here in this story, God's giving us a picture of this young couple's wedding night. They've saved themselves for one another. They've protected their purity. And now we're diving in. Song of Solomon. We're going to read all of chapter four. I'm going to make some comments along the way. It's going to get awkward. I'm just telling you right now. But here's what we believe. We believe that this young man, perhaps Solomon, was literally complimenting his bride from head to toe as he undressed her along the way. Okay, that's what we're reading. Song of Solomon 4, verse 1, he says this. You are beautiful, my darling, beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. You have goat hair, baby, yeah. Your t- don't try this at home, all right? Your teeth are as white as sheep recently shorn and freshly washed. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with its twin. So he's saying, yes, all your teeth are there. You're not from Arkansas. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kind of. Uh, Verse three. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. And now for the first time in the book, he's going to compliment her below her neck. I told you as we looked at this earlier in Song of Songs, he stopped complimenting her at her neck that he focused on speaking to and seeking her heart before he sought her body. He protected her purity before he pursued his passion. But now within marriage, they're gonna pursue that passion. And he continues below the neck by saying this, your breasts, everyone say breast, just kidding, don't say it. But here he says, (laughs) your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. Now, why did he compare her breasts to two baby deer? Here's my theory. If you saw an adult deer, you would not approach it for it could hurt you. But when you see a baby deer, what do you want to do? You want to pet it. I'm just saying. Oh, how cute. Can I touch? 
Before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee, I will hurry to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense, which church, it is not a coincidence, he names two hills while looking at two specific things on her body. I told you a few weeks ago, he names them. And some of you husbands have been trying to think of names for several weeks now, keep thinking. Proverbs 5, verse 19, by the way, Proverbs 5, 19 says about a man's wife, may her breasts satisfy you always. And I give a hearty amen. Verse 7, you are altogether beautiful, my darling, beautiful in every way. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Come down from Mount Amana, from the peaks of Sunir and Hermon, where the lions have their dens and leopards live among the hills. You've captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes. Notice, by the way, how he's gone back to her eyes. It's important. He's letting her know, I'm not just about having sex with you. I'm about you. It's good. With a single jewel of your necklace, your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine, your perfume more fragrant than spices. Your lips are as sweet as nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. We believe he was describing what we would now call a French kiss. This was a couple thousand years before France, so we should probably call it a Hebrew kiss. I don't know, but that's what he was describing. And by the way, apparently... They saved that most passionate kiss for their sexual experience only. So I'm going to say something right now to the young people in the room. Some young people ask, Pastor Jeff, how far is too far sexually? And my answer is that question's too far. Because what you are asking when you ask that question is how close to the line of sex can I actually get without going over the line? And let me tell you, the closer you draw yourself to that line, the easier it is to go over. And I'm not saying that you should save your first kiss for your wedding day. I will say this. In November, I went to the wedding of my cousin in Casper, and he and his bride shared their first kiss with anyone ever on their wedding day. You can't tell me they won't have an amazing sexual relationship. But I do know this. The kind of kiss he's describing, when you start kissing someone that way, your body that God gave you start telling you, you need to finish the deed. So you open up yourself to that kind of passion, you're going to want to go one step further, but then that won't be enough until one step further, then that's not enough to go one step further until pretty soon you found your line right at the place you didn't want to be and you will not be able to say no. So instead of asking young people, how close to the line can I be, I think you should ask, how close to Jesus can I be? Because I promise you, when you're close to Jesus, he won't bring you close to the line. So then he says this, your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. In the Bible, a man's sexuality or a man's sexual organ is described as a spring, no, uh, you know, details necessary. You know what that means. A woman's is described as a well or a fountain. So that's, he's describing her sexuality. Your thighs, look at this descriptive language, shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices, henna with nard, nard with saffron, fragrant calamus and cinnamon with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes and every other lovely spice. You are a garden fountain, a well of fresh water streaming down from Lebanon's mountains. And then he stops right there 
inviting her to have sex. I think it's important to note, I counted how many words he used to invite his wife to have sex. He used 310 words. I counted them all. Men, I think we should take note of that. 310 words complimenting her before he invited her to have sex. Now the young woman speaks. I counted how many she used, 27. (laughs) But we all know she only needed two. You wanna? (laughs) Then she says this, awake north wind, rise up south wind, blow on my garden and spread its fragrance all around. Come into your garden, which means exactly what you think it means. My love, taste its finest fruits. In other words, she was saying, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. Tommy Nelson says, this is perhaps the most erotic verse in all the Bible. Then the young man says this in verse one of chapter five, I have entered my garden, which again means what you think it means. My treasure, my bride. I gather myrrh with my spices and eat honeycomb with my honey. I drink wine with my milk. So sex is designed to feel good but specific things make it great. So what's the secret to great sex? Well, you need to be married, uh, and then it needs to be mutual. And the first thing I see in this mutuality here is this, letter A, it should be mutually invited. That sex in marriage should be invited by both the man and the woman in the relationship. And before you think, that's what we saw in that passage, by the way, both the man and woman invited sex. And before you think this was just a newlywed thing, and don't worry, later on down the road, they won't want to have sex anymore. Chapter seven, later on in the the marriage, they both mutually invited the sexual experience again. And I think we've got this backwards view of sexuality. We see it in almost every sitcom on TV. That in marriage, only the man really pursues sex, only the man really enjoys sex, and only the man really needs sex. And I know there is a massive amount of hurt and pain and fear and confusion and shame that all of us carry sexually, that affects us sexually, but I also know that oftentimes that affects the women more than the men. So I can't speak, obviously, from a female perspective of sexuality. I can only point you to some great resources by women and for women. And some of you in this room, some of you ladies, you know, you know, you need help in this area of sexuality. You know it. And so if you're wanting to get some amazing female perspective, whether you think I need it now or not, it's just a healthy thing to learn. You need to go to this website, authenticintimacy.com. It was started by Julie Slattery and Linda Dillo, and it deals specifically with women and sexuality. My wife right now is reading one of their books called Passion Pursuit. Um, if, you, if you wanna ask her about what she thinks about their ministry, you can ask her. I think she'd be fine talking to you uh, about that. But there's just amazing resources there from a woman's perspective that I obviously can't give. Julie Slattery says this, in one of her books, God is for great, pleasurable, and frequent sex within the context of marriage. So that's a woman's perspective. What's funny is we kind of see the same thing in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul says this, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Essentially, both parties saying, I'm all yours, like we saw in the story. 
Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. So according to scripture, the only reason to neglect sexual intimacy in a marriage is so that both of you can agree to pray better. It's the only reason. Afterward, you should come together again sexually so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I understand we don't need sex to live. So it's not a need in that sense. I also know every couple is different in their sexual needs. And even as you age, those needs, those desires, those gratifications, they change with time. As you get older, I get all that. I just want us all to understand that in our marriages, sex is a necessary and a healthy expression of our love for one another. It's not the only way to express love, but it is a key part of our marriages. And if your love is not regularly being expressed in that way, unless there is a legitimate physical limitation that keeps you from having sex, Every other part of your relationships affected by it, whether you realize it or not. Every part. And I believe if that's the case and sex is deprived, it's a sign of a deeper problem. A wound, a fear, a shame, a hurt, a sin that needs to be dealt with by the power of the Holy Spirit and sometimes even with professional counseling. In fact, I've never said this from the pulpit before in my teaching, but I believe it to be true so much that I believe it is just as much a sexual sin to deprive your spouse of sex as it is to seek it from somewhere else. We don't often say that in the church, but according to scripture, that's true. And so again, I don't understand this from a female perspective, so I sought out a woman's opinion, my wife, and I asked her this question. What do you think is the biggest key to a healthy sex life in marriage. My wife, quoting her, it's on the screen. She said this, saying yes. I've never regretted saying yes to having sex, even on the times I didn't feel like doing it. Sometimes you say yes because you know it's the intimate connection you need with your spouse. So sex is designed to feel good, but specific things make it Great. So what's the secret to great sex? We need to be married. It should be mutually invited. Letter B, mutually enjoyed. Sex and marriage should be mutually enjoyed. So let me break the ice just for a second. I believe, and I'm being somewhat funny but also serious, that when it comes to sex in marriage, the sky is the limit that God gave us this gift, it's meant to be enjoyed, and literally in marriage, our bodies are an amusement park, and we've been given an unlimited pass with the line hopper option. Can I get a witness up in here? <laughs> Although, if there's a line waiting, that's another whole section that we gotta teach on. It's not what I'm talking about. In chapter seven, of the Song of Songs, the wife says to her husband, speaking about having sex, I'm gonna give you new delights as well as old. Or in other words, she was saying, honey, we're about to get adventurous with this. Julie Slattery, again in one of her books says this, if you're married, the Bible has quite a different message for you than predictable sex. 
She said, do get carried away, far away, be adventurous, be playful, be passionate, go crazy with your husband. So some people legitimately ask the question, well, what is allowed in sex? What can we do or not do in sex as a married couple? In fact, we had somebody during the last uh, You Choose Sundays ask a very a question that I won't even repeat. It was so embarrassing for me to repeat, but it was around this subject. So let me, let me address that. What's allowed in marriage sexually? I think there are three nevers that you never allow in sex in marriage. They're not on the screens, but here they are. Never bring another person into the sexual experience, okay? Now that one, I think 99.9% of us would have no problem agreeing with that one. You don't bring someone else into the sexual experience, but that is a never. Here's a second never. Never bring pornography into your sexual experience, ever, okay? To the young people in the room, specifically young men, although I know it's not just a male issue, but just to the young people in the room, pornography and masturbation is not a healthy sexual release for you before you're married. The more you engage in that before you're married, you are carrying that into your marriage and don't think for a second it won't affect you sexually in marriage. In fact, now after we've gone through this, what, 20 years of basically free pornography online, now that we've gone through 20 years, what they are finding is that there are loads and loads and loads of young men who got married and they have no idea how to have a healthy sex life with their bride because their mind is so corrupted by pornography. They can't even figure out how to have sex with a real person because they've had sex with themselves via another woman online. So not only should it not be allowed in your marriage, but don't even start before you're married. And listen, if that's you and you need help, please talk to us. It's not something that you should hide, okay? We have people, me included, who can say, I've been with you in this. Let's get you help, okay? Third never in marriage is never, never allow a sexual position or sexual practice that is painful or demeaning to either member of the marriage. Never allow a position or practice that's painful or demeaning. I think as we grow in our marriage, our sex life should get better and better. You start discovering what the, your, your, your wife or your husband likes or, or don't like, don't, don't like the, the signals they give to invite sexuality. It's, it's a learning process. But these other things can enter in and start to demean that process. So Julie Slattery, last quote from her, says this, God has designed every woman with her own unique pathway to sexual pleasure. God's design is for you to understand your own and your husband's pathway. But there are also obstacles and roadblocks on the way to arousal, porn being one of the biggest ones. The greatest lovers are those who have learned to tenaciously address roadblocks along the pathway together. And the key word, church, is together. Together. So that leads to the last mutual thing we need for great sex. It needs to be mutually understood. That sex in marriage should be mutually understood. Song of Solomon 5, 1b says this, O lover and beloved, it appears now that someone else Outside of the marriage is speaking to the couple, O lover and beloved, eat and drink, yes, drink deeply of your love. 
And this is awesome. Many scholars believe this is the only place in the whole book of Song of Solomon where we hear or see the voice of God. That God, his voice literally enters the story and is giving his stamp of approval on the lovemaking of this couple on their wedding night. As weird as this sounds, and I admit it's weird, God delights in the act of lovemaking between a man and a woman in marriage. It's renewing the marriage covenant again and again, which goes back to that word we saw on the video, that word ekad, fused at the deepest level. That yes, there is pleasure, and yes, it should be enjoyed, but it's so much more than pleasure. It's this powerful bonding moment between a man and a woman in marriage meant to unite them together as one. So with that in mind, why do you think so many couples struggle having a healthy sex life in marriage? And why do you think so many of us pursue sexuality out of marriage? I think it's because the devil is not a moron. He's brilliant. He knows how great sex is for a marriage, how great sex is in a marriage. And so before marriage, he tries to get us to give it away as much as we can. After marriage, he tries to get us to refrain as much as we can. He knows what he's doing. And so when we, as couples, mutually understand this deeply spiritual connection, it should move us in marriage towards a regular, consistent, passionate, pleasurable sex life meant to unite us together as one so nothing else can come between us. Before marriage, before marriage, this understanding should move us towards a restrained, committed, pure, holy sex life that understands sexuality at a higher level than what our world delivers. So we experience the best sex that God desires for us to have. So what do we do now? What do we do? Well, I think there's some obvious next steps for different segments of the room. So for those of us who are married, I think you know your homework. In all seriousness, there's some married couples in this room, you need to have a conversation around this that talks about what is it that's caused us to be apart when we should be coming together. And listen, it's not, it's not a bad thing for you to seek out help in that, okay? So don't be afraid to do that. For the young people in the room who you are not yet married, but you desire to be, your next step, I think, is making those boundaries. Like literally, I would write them down. What will I not do? Where will I not go with someone I'm attracted to or in relationship with? And if a person that you are interested in does not respect that boundary, you do not need to be in relationship with them. For those of you who say, Matt, Jeff, I, like, I have blown it. I have done everything the wrong way. I have so much hurt, so much pain, so much guilt, so much shame. Like what in the world do I do now? I've messed up. Here's what you do now. 
You cannot change the past. You can only have power to live in the future. So from this day forward, you choose to live in purity. From this day forward, these are now my boundaries. From this day forward, this is what I am committing myself to. And listen, you may no longer be a virgin, but you can live as a virgin from now until you get married. Don't let the devil, he will say this to you. You've already messed up once. You may as well keep going. Draw the line right now. No more from this day forward. And then there's those in the room who would say, okay, I, I get it. God's design, I get it, purity, I get all that stuff. Here's the problem. I know I can't do this on my own. I need help. And I would say, you're right, you do need help. And here's the help you need, Jesus in you. So if you're here today and you have never put your faith in Jesus to be forgiven of your sins and given the power of his Holy Spirit to live for him, I wanna give you that chance right now. Jesus came for you, all your hurt, all your sin, all your shame, no matter who you are or what you've done, he came for you. Died in your place, rose from the dead, said, put your faith in me, I'll forgive you and I will set you free. If that's you today and you've never put your faith in Jesus by praying this prayer, doesn't mean that you're some harlot or, or someone who's just given themselves away. That's not, we're, we're, we're past the sex part right now. We're dealing with salvation, with sin. And sin needs forgiven. So if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just silently in your heart. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. I believe he came and died in my place, paid the price for my sins, rose from the dead, and I put my faith in Jesus. Please forgive me of all my sins, everything I've done. Wash me clean, make me new, come into my heart. Give me power to live for you every day. I'm gonna turn from my old life, follow you in my new life. Thanks for loving me just the way I am. I'll do my best to love you back in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you're here today and you just prayed that prayer to ask Jesus into your heart, would you do something very bold but in a very safe environment? Would you raise your hand, say, yep, that's me, and leave it up? I just asked Jesus into my heart for the very first time. I see you in the back. See you guys right here. Praise God right here. Right over there, I see you. Anybody else? Raise your hand, see you right there. Amen, amen. Anybody else? Raise your hand right where you are. Praise God, amen. Listen, if that's you, We'd love to help you walk in that process. Please stop by guest services, ask for a next steps devotional called 21. We'll put one in your hands. It'll help you take your next steps in Jesus. That would be absolutely amazing if you do that. Mark on your connection card too, that you put your faith in Christ today. Uh, hey, if you need prayer for something, like if this awoken something in your heart, awakened something uh, that you need prayer for, stop by the purple tent in the back. We've got people there that'll pray for anything, literally anything in your life, nothing to be ashamed of. If you're new, stop by the living room. And uh, if you got a, a gift to give today, please drop it off at the giving boxes on your way out. Let me pray for you guys, then you can go. Lord, you're so good. Lord, I thank you in your word that you do, do, you do not hide your design for our sexuality. You want us to live in the, in the full purpose of what that is. So help us, Lord, to live in your purpose of purity and holiness, that no matter what we've done from this day forward, we will pursue you. God, we love you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. You're dismissed.